Hello, hello, hello. So, am I coming through all right? Yes, sir. And how am I coming through on my end? Fantastic. Unfortunately, what we're about to talk about will not be. You know what, y'all? I hope, I, part of me wishes that we weren't coming through so clean, because then you all would not have to hear about this. I recommend those of, those of us whose skin has more than a little bit of melanin in it and then properly brace themselves, because today we are talking about a cultural, uh, what would you call it? Um, you know, phenomena would be a good word if phenomena didn't also have the connotations of, hey, this might be pretty good. Sort of like how a volcano mm. erupting is awesome, but it's not the cool type. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to stop and stare at that. And just like, st it's... We the common t the common phrase is always like a train wreck or a car crash, and but what we got to talk about today talk about today is something a little bit is something a little bit different than that because a train wreck or a car crash when they fail they fail bombastically it's amazing what we have to talk about is more like it's like watching your it's like watching a student that you really want to succeed just go throughout their enti entire semester and slowly let that GPA fall? And, like, you know the feeling. You're like, I've been there, champ, but you gotta get up. And they just... Yeah. They just don't. Mm-hmm. So, I think we've danced around it long enough. What are we talking about today, Will? Well, Josh, you see we've got two options. One that hurts the melanated, the other that hurts the religious, and they both hurt people that enjoy movies. We saw the devil inside, and God damn it, we definitely saw Karen. Welcome to Good the Barrelverse. <laughs> hope you hope you enjoy your stay. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, my name is Joshua Pulliam, and I'm William Slater. And today we have two magical movies to talk about. These were recorded recorded for, as our way to celebrate the <clears throat> celebrate the spooky season. In the devil inside me. The Devil Inside feature is a possession movie that I'm pretty much, I'm honestly convinced was made as a bet. And Karen, which... Um... We're sure was made to launder money. Or at <laughs> least was... Now, I hope no one is offended when I say this, but Karen is very much an introductory film that should only be watched with such an adequate preface that this leans heavily into being satire, even though it will try and play all of its tropes completely straight. This like, movie I can... was developed almost entirely as not even Baby's first introduction to racism. That was an episode of The Fairly Odd Parents in which Timmy wished that everyone was the same and some people still sucked. And, and you know the wild thing? They had Nickelodeon back then had a better message about it than this movie does. Well, did this movie have a message? It certainly said a lot of things, but they were like, it said the kind of things that didn't feel like it was trying to make a cohesive plot, but more along the more along the lines of. If you have never, if you as a black person have never ever experienced any kind of racism ever, ever then maybe this movie will speak to you a little bit. But like, then I have more questions. But then I have more questions for you. Like, where did you live? And are there any vacant houses there? Was the pricing looking like? Are the schools any good? How's the job market? But yet, 
But at the same time, I feel like if you experience that, are you well adjusted? I get that you're happy. I'm sure you're happy, but like, well, I feel like that's the trouble, Josh. We're like as well adjusted as either of us may be. Which, uh, speaking for myself, that changes by the day. Mm. I would definitely take being happy on top of that. <laughs> that that's actually true. That's actually true. But I feel like wherever you come from, that's true. But that's true. You come from the same magical fairy tale land as the as the main characters of this of the movie Karen. Which, by the way, I can't avoid talking about. We are talking about Karen first. We are no, not at all. I can tell from the intro. One of these films has an actual demon in it, and, and it is not the, one with the worst antagonist, which mm-hmm. is Karen. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. All right, so you want to do the rundown, or should I? Because we are. Oh, this, this is definitely a two-person job. Oh, I am. Oh, I am so excited to hop into this. Hop into this one. Give me a second because I want to make sure. I want to make sure I have the plot synopsis properly up for Karen. <clears throat> Karen is described as a 2011 dark crime dramedy thriller film. I am reading that right off the right Wait, off. Wait, 2011? Page. I thought that was more recent. Sorry, 2021. Excuse me. There we go. Oh God, this year. Oh. Written and directed by Coke Daniels and starring Taryn Man- Manning. Uh, oh, oh my God. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So Karen, be- Karen begins with a new freshly, with a new freshly married black couple, black couple moving from what I can only assume was California, California to, Adla- to Atlanta. They've moved to a, to a nice, well-to-do neighborhood. Neighborhood three story three story beautiful house which honestly confuses me because the husband they're a young couple the husband is supposed to run an an inner an inner city after school program and the wife is a professional blogger this really sounds like one of those episodes of HGTV where you're not expected to understand where the money comes from hey man sometimes between a school teacher and a dog walker your budget really is eight million dollars we'll just assume this is one of those times. I hope Sally Joe can really work some. Apparently, Sally Joe really did work some magic. Anyway, before they get their first taste of that nice, good Southern hospita- hospitality, when a white woman woman walks right up to the, them, along with the along with her racially ambiguous fr- friend, and the racially ambiguous friend is just like, "Huh, you know what? It's nice that we have some black people around." black people around. Maybe we can finally get some color in this neighborhood. And Karen and the white woman by the name of Karen because, of course, you know, the titular, titular title, Karen. Karen. Karen is a Karen, and yes, that is a statement slash joke that did come up in the film. That We're just going to call that they, out right now. And they you know... Up. It's, a, it's actually a pretty solid who's on first moment. And, you know, it's it's kind of amazing because you know the director was just rubbing his hands together as he said that while he, like our neighbor Karen is a Karen. It's wild. Uh, I would like to take the time uh, to apologize to everyone named Rebecca because uh y'all were really getting the sauce for the for a while before these Karens came along. A lot of Becky yeah. slander in the streets that you had to deal with. I'm not gonna say but at least- <laughs> should that happen. <laughs> I, just I want feel like to know that the Karens are currently having it worse because, God, if you made this movie even two years earlier, this film would have been named Becky. 
But the thing is, like, Becky and Karen are different. Becky is like a me. Becky is like a mean girl that evolves into a Karen over time. Like Becky's a like Becky's were the girls you knew in high school. Karen's are the middle aged women women you know. It's it's like a Pokemon, a Pokemon that hit level thirty six but evolves really slow. Ah, but in this case, totally not worth it. Not at all. So anyway, uh, Karen decides that like in a strange mix. She both simultaneously decides, I should introduce myself, and this cannot stand. She chooses it's, it's, literally both at the same time as we follow her in the day of her life out on the town in Atlanta, a city mm-hmm. that is not at all known for a dense population of black people and barely any black landmarks or black culture at all. Not at it's all. the whitest it's... city you can imagine. Yep. So, of course, when she is at a downtown, downtown, a notoriously non-black, non-multiracial, non-diverse environment, the downtown of any city, when she goes down there to a restaurant and sees but two black men enjoying a conversation and honestly speaking at a normal tone. Just enjoy. It was just, she saw, it was like her spiders zoomed in on Black Joy and thought to herself, I gotta end that immediately. That happiness is gonna spread like a weed. And I, mm-hmm. I wish it did. Also, we will have comments about weed in this movie later on. It gets used as a plot. It's, it's a plot point. It's really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. We, oh my god, this is possibly the first movie outside of like the faculty and half-baked that had a Chekhov's blunt. And that is a thing I now have to live with putting together in my head. Congratulations. Oh, this is but anyway. But anyway, she uses her she uses her Karen powers of and I of cry of crying on cue and calling the manager to have the black black men that are enjoying enjoying their lunch escorted out escorted out of the uh out of the restaurant, and then just sort of tucks her hair behind her, behind her ear, and just smiles so self-satisfied. And it's at this point that you sort of get an idea for what kind of person you're dealing with. Karen, Karen is just a movie of I can describe it as a movie made of microaggressions and dehumanizing behavior, behavior made to st- stitch together to in the form of a plot or even character or even character. And we're told that this is a and we're told that this is a bad thing. But the weird thing is that's all the movie really has to say. And if anybody thought being a Karen in 2021 was a good thing or needed this message, I really don't know what I have to say, say to you. Because that's what it feels like this movie's problem is. I don't know who this movie is for. Because the Black characters, they're there, but they're not that much better. They're, oh, excuse me, the Black, the black characters, their names, are, their names are Imani and Malik. And they serve as the and they serve as what is supposed to be an intelligent, an intelligent, beautiful black, black woke couple. And we know this because the movie goes out of its way to tell us it on multiple occasions. Multiple occasions. However, sometimes directly, it's actually kind of impressive. Yeah. However, we never really see much of it. Much of it. There's cent- besides Karen. Their central problem is that they're trying to get pregnant. Is that they're trying to get pregnant? They're trying to have a kid. Have a they're kid. Also and broke, so you know. Yeah, that don't help. So there's that. Not at all. And like Malik wants to have kids immediately, but Imani's not sure because they spent all their money on a two-story 
two-story house in an affluent neighborhood in Atlanta. In Atlanta, so you know, maybe we could have planned this out better. But maybe we could have the thing that's not at all, Josh. Yeah, but the thing that throws me is Karen from the jump hits them with every microaggressive, racist barb she can. Can like they check out the neighborhood and she asks, and she asks, "Oh, what are you casing the joint?" Pauses, laughs after that. She immediately, as soon as they move in, she sets up cameras around her house, immediately looking at their house. And they're like, oh, that was weird. Oh, that's weird. Strange that her kid, she must be really into security. They say that. They say, wow, she's really beefing up security. And not like sarcastically. It takes them a good minute to register that the cameras are pointed at them. And the it's like. Is, that's not the wor- That's not like, that's not a bad character observation. It's just that they don't know how serious she is. This would it's actually just, be very smart were it not for the rest of the film. Like, at one, at one point, her, her son is creeping on them while they're having sex because their window faces his w- window across the street. And she brings it up, up as if it's their fault that the wife is uh, putting on a little, I think she says, peep show for the son. Also, who says peep show in 2021? That was weird. Look, my... I know peep shows were an actual thing, but the most experience I've actually had with peep shows was a British comedy. Mm, they yeah. still do. Yeah, they still... British. Also, y'all, check out British comedy. It's not bad. No, no, no. different. Very different. Been understated, yeah. but you get used to it. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so Imani and Malik are just trying to get used to the environment. They're talking to some of the friends they made in their communities. They're like, all right, yeah, some of the people here are a, lot, are a little antsy. Meanwhile... Karen goes to the Hall of Evil, I mean the Homeowners Association. Mm-hmm. Dang, the acronyms really are only off by one letter. And the fact Dang, that we, we really said, that work. we need to get, but we need to deal with the problem. And everyone's like, what's the problem? So we have some new the neighbors. Co- oh, all right, so we're having a housewarming party. They're black. Okay, so we're having a housewarming party, right? This neighborhood could use some diversity. And this scene was set up to sort of illustrate that as off, as off base as Karen was, some, of her, some aspects of her environment really did, like, reinforce that. Yeah. Because in the homeowner's scene, you find out that they're all various flavors of racist. Like, none of them like having a black family there, there, but they are happy to have them there for the diversity points. Because in their minds, it's... The, in today's current current age, oh, we have to have we have to have the colors in colors in. Uh, I'm sorry, we have to have black people in black people in because it makes us look more diverse. Karen's just Karen's just the one to be openly racist enough to say that she doesn't want them here, want them here because if they come in, then they'll bring more of them with them, and then if there are more black people in, then there come the drugs and the cr- the drugs and the crime. She really does say that. Oh, almost verbatim. And the wild mm-hmm. part is. We later find out in the movie that there were already other black people around. Yeah. There were literally already, like, entire black families in the neighborhood. She just didn't yeah. want them on her block. But let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit. So, Imani, so uh, do you want to talk about the weed scene, the pie scene, or the housewarming scene first? There are three scenes that I really want to... in order because... Uh, we gotta have one weed scene so that we can get to the pie scene so that we can get to the other weed scene. 
And all right. After that, just to top it off, we definitely have to do the house party, house party scene. Because if there is anything in this film that would have a crowning moment, like it was, this is what this movie's about. It's that scene. And and when we say crowning moment, y'all don't think that means the best scene in the movie. No, it means the scene that shows you everything that this movie does, everything this movie is about. The true name of this movie is in the housewarming scene. So we'll get to it. But first of all, you got this. Uh, okay, but let's talk about the weed scene. So Malik, Malik in his own in his own car on the curb decides to light up, which is legal in Georgia. Georgia as of the year of our Lord 2021. He is minding his own business, smoking weed. Karen, of course, does the awkward thing where somebody somebody knocks on your win- knocks on your window and asks you the win- window down. By the way, high or not, that is terrifying, especially at night. But anyway. But anyway, she and Karen in no short ter- short terms does insinuate insinuate that, oh well if you sm- I don't think it'd be very nice to have you up. Uh, very right to have you smoking the reefer, reefer around these parts. Like my son could see, see it sets bad, sets a bad influence for him. All that, this, that, and the other thing. Mind you, Karen smokes cigarettes. Let's not even get into that. Let's not even get into that parallel. Really, because we need to talk about how Malik's windows are actually pretty solidly tinted. Yeah. Also, like you would have to be heavily searching for, searching for it, and there's no way that you'd be able to tell the difference between weed and a cigarette cigarette so let's not even get into the hypocrisy that if she smokes cigarettes she smokes cigarettes but gets onto him for smoking weed of course but of course it's because he's black and he's black and smoking weed which of course me which of course means that oh but will somebody think of the children i of course i need to use my children as a way to justify my own carries or fears or prejudice ones that will be passed on to those children at some point if they haven't already, I'm worried. I'm worried it's too late for the son, but the daughter show, but the daughter might show some progress. By the way, Karen has two kids, two kids, um, a 17 year old son and eight year old daughter. Yep, and uh, you know this does lead to some other stuff. Uh, did the antifreeze scene happen before or after the housewarming scene? The antifreeze, I think, happened. Be no, it had to have happened before because they would not have invited her to the. I mean, after the housewarming scene, because there's no way they would have invited to her house had they seen what was in the housewarming scene. That's that's fair. So yeah. basically, before the housewarming scene, Karen is trying to like replace antifreeze in her car. For some reason, asks Malik to help, and this is sort of where we get to, you know, the other half of racism. Well, the other part of racism. I wouldn't even be so kind to of split this into halves. That beast has many heads, but mm-hmm. and in this case, many backs. Unfortunate. Because this one is fetishism, in which he straight up tries to feel up Malik to make him spill antifreeze on his shirt. This works, by the way. And then he's mm-hmm. like, oh, let me get a shirt from inside. And she's like, no, come to my house, literally up the street from you, to so I can wash your shirt. And you can walk around shirtless and wash your hands in my bathroom. Mm, just, I'm just saying. If, if any of you have seen movies, then I'm sure you're aware of the whole, oh, you got your shirt dirty. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take, that off? take that off and we can get... And she wouldn't get you something clean. Malik, fortunately enough, does not fall for the fall for this, but does come inside to wash his hands. However, I would li- I would like to point out that this is not the only time that she has fetishized this couple. She clearly is vehemently racist, but but she did stand there and watch the watch the two of them have sex while after 
kicking her son out from doing the same thing. Kicking so her son out of kicked... his own room, by the way. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it's completely understandable to say, hey, cut the, bl- cut the blinds and stop watching that family. That's their own thing. That's their own thing. But she stood there and watched afterwards. Really makes the whole thing sort of worse. Also, sorry, audience. That is exactly how that scene ended. Yep. We don't. She just stood there and just stood there and enjoyed the show. Luckily, Malik, uh, after walking around Karen's house and trying to find the bathroom, comes across two things that did raise red flags, but for me would have had me never speak to this person again. One, a complete antebellum-style Confederate bathroom, like like right just... down to the portraits of Robert E. Lee staring at you on the toilet. And the Confederate stars and bars on the hand soap dispenser. And like at that point, the entire at that point, it's go ahead. You got for the bathroom. Story. At that oh, excuse me, yeah. for the bathroom. At that point, it's not even aesthetically pleasing. It's the idea of you have this old man staring at you right as you're on the can, right as you're on the can, and it's like it's uncomfortable. Like you have to go out of your way for that decorate decoration to say I'm really supporting this team up to the point where this their colors are ugly but I don't care mm-hmm. and then the other thing Malik sees is something that would have set off every alarm in my head including some that I'm not in sure what I'm not even sure what they're there for yet he sees that Karen has an entire security room and then we as the audience find out that she also has like old tapes and like has an old tape style recording system so that she can sit in a movie room that she has? I want the layout of this house just so I can answer these questions. And like, watch them angrily while eating popcorn. She just has made a movie of their lives because all their because all the cameras are aimed at their house. By the way, I don't know if this is illegal or not, but it definitely warrants calling somebody, right? It, it feels like a crime. I mean, usually you have to consent very implicitly or explicitly to being recorded unless you are outside or using social media or you have your webcam on. Otherwise, I think you need consent. Yeah, like, at a certain point, like, you are monitoring this house without my consent. I don't know if there's a law against this, but it feels wrong. It it feels like this is a crime against Mm -hmm. me, even if it isn't. Unfortunately, oh, but the, the antagonist feels the exact same way, and that's how this movie even came to be. Yep. Oh, but the sad fact is, the sad fact is this. This is when Malik and Imani realize that Karen is a racist. Not the microaggressions, not, not the countless microaggressions, not the suggesting that they were purposefully, purposefully moving their, um, having sex in front of her son, not the, not the numerous suggestions that they are criminals for criminals for smoking weed, not the suggestions that they are casing the joint, casing the joint, not the, I'm probably forgetting things. No, you know what? I'm sorry. The housewarming scene happened before, happened before this scene. The housewarming scene did happen before this scene. All right. uh, Let's go to the housewarming scene. And I want you to remember that we're going to discuss the housewarming scene, which like we said, is the crown point of this movie. But I want you all to remember this scene came before the Confederate flag scene, but the Confederate flag scene was what keyed them in that she was racist. So, let's talk about the housewarming scene. To set the stage, Imani and Malik are holding a housewarming party with some of their wealthier, blacker friends, who mm-hmm. they've made in the area, despite only being here about a month. 
social butterflies, the two of them. And they decide, no matter how weird Karen's been acting, that, you know, she deserves a chance to, like, come over, too. And that's wild, because they only do this for her and not any other neighbor who's been significantly less weird towards them. Oh, I will, I will have to... I actually do have to correct you on this one. They that's don't right. purposely invite her. Invite her. They oh, mentioned they're having a housewarming itself. party. Yeah, remember, they mentioned they're having a housewarming party. And she says, oh, I didn't get an invitation. She does that. She pulls that uncomfortable. Oh, right, that is how that happens. Yeah. Uh, I forgot my way into a slightly better movie. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If any of you have ever been in an awkward conversation where you mentioned that you're, ha- you're doing or having an event that you really only want select people to come to, but you slip up and mention it to some of the people that you don't want to be there, and they say, and they hit you with, and they trap you, trap you in that social convention of, oh, I don't remember getting my, getting my invitation. That's their way of saying, like, oh, I'm coming, right? And you are stuck in social convention of saying, oh, of course you are, you know, if you want to. You don't want them to come there, but because of social convention, you're not allowed to say that. Or you feel like you're not allowed to say that. Sometimes, just allow yourself to say it. I promise it will make you feel better. Give yourself the grace of saying, yeah, no, it wasn't lost in the mail. This is a very select group, and this is no offense to you at this time, but I feel like we don't know each other well enough for me to lay you in my house like that. Actually, saying it like that might have gotten them like a decent way ahead, you know, if Karen weren't crazy. It's just sometimes it's really hard to be direct about these kind of things. But oh, uh, but she but she of course bring, brings her brings herself her brings herself and her potato salad, which I'm ninety nine percent sure had raisins in it, but I cannot be sure. But I cannot confirm. But uh, yeah, um, it she did bring potato salad. That's not us memeing. That is a thing she did. Uh, she then proceeds to walk around casing the house in the way that she accused her neighbors of doing. Yep. She even goes <coughs> she even goes so far at like and the thing is, the guy that she kicked at, got kicked out of the restaurant, he is at the party and mentions that, hey man, that's the ki- that's the Karen that kicked me out of the restaurant. And he's like, Who? Karen? Yeah, no, I didn't say her name's Karen. I said she is Karen. And he's like and Malik is like, Yeah, her name is Karen. So, your neighbor whose name is Karen, and this is a scene that you know Mr. Daniels, Director Coke Daniels, was rubbing his hands for <laughs> Karen is a Karen. And then, uh, so whenever a sufficiently either just inebriated or just bored group <laughs> of black people tend to gather together, at least in my experience, they tend to talk about or we, we tend to talk about the culture. Mm-hmm. Where it's going. How it's going. How are we going to deal with some long-staying iniquities? And this can range anywhere from how people of different sexes and genders treat each other to something as stupid as how long do you wait before you eat that piece of bread? Exactly. Or, li- or like, how long, can, how long can you keep something in aluminum foil? How long can you keep a plate in aluminum foil before you feel the need to toss it away? Or like, how is much is somebody's foil, food? You... Uh, is aluminum foil a lid? My answer, yes. Michael, or how much of somebody's food do you have to eat that you really don't like before you, that you really don't like before it's polite to set it off the side? Tip to everybody, if you host, a, if you host an event that has food that you cook and you see a lot of plates face down in the trash, you didn't do that well. But at the same time, 
Don't think about it. They're here because they enjoy your company, not your cooking. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Which is actually, strangely, a good way to get back to this. Because Karen did not take the food, but she did take the white wine. Yep. I swear to God, if that was supposed to be symbolism. Look, so they're talking not so subtle, not so subtly about just generally the black condition. And Karen, as she has already done, already done this whole movie and has done in being in this scene at all, decides this is a proper time to insert herself in, self into this situation. And it's, it's of course, every, they hit every point. They hit every point that black people in conversation about difficulties would talk about. Talk about. They talk about police brutality. Karen goes with the not all cop, co- not all cops. They talk about slavery. Karen says, "Oh, it was so long ago, long ago." They talk about current ev- current events. Karen says, "If you don't like it, move back to Africa." Yes, she says says this. But the thing is, there's no there's no depth to any of it. It feels like it doesn't feel like people talking. It's literally a shot for shot, backwards and forwards. Karen, black people. Karen, black people. Karen, black. Black people. There's n- and there's no nuance to the conversation. She they say something that black people have been feeling. Karen says the most ignorant. Karen says the most ignorant or inconsiderate answer to that pro- um, answer to that problem. It's there's, the movie doesn't offer anything new to say in these subjects, and it comes off as if this was a checklist checklist that they had to hit. And it feels like this is supposed to be the scene where every black person reson- resonates. We all roll our but I just felt myself rolling my eyes because the movie, because I felt like the movie was rubbing my shoulders like, ah, eh, ah, eh, right? I did the thing. There's <laughs> the thing, right? Like, like, yeah, yeah, she's super messed up. And this is stuff you feel, right? And I was like, yes, movie, it is messed up. And this is what I feel. But I didn't need you to tell me that. I don't know who this is for. I really don't. It's not for me. Me, did you make Karen for... Karen's a horror movie, but it's like, did you make Karen for black people? Because we don't need the, need this. We knew Karen was a racist from the first sentence that came out of her mouth. We didn't need this drag going. Did you make it for white people to tell them what not to do? Not to do? Like, nobody needs to be told not to be a Karen. Karen, or the people that do are already Karens. That, that is true. It does fall into that weird vein, doesn't it? Where it's like, yeah. everyone who would need to know this has either already lived it, or it's too late to save them. Like, that's like I don't think any Karen, I don't think any Karens are going out to jump to watch Karen, Karen unless they are just super, uh, unless they have the most self awareness or the least amount of self awareness. And to those Karens, I wish you well on your rehabilitation, but I'm having a hard time believing that you exist. Yeah, if only because it is very difficult to imagine someone with that level of self awareness and coming from a culture that is partially like you have to be continuously self-aware because depending on the rooms you walk into people will be aware of you and even if i'm not even sure if i could say that karen would be better if it even touched on that sort of thing do we really want to see karen tackle that like this is my thing do we like how much smarter do we have to make this movie before we want to be able to tackle these kind of things uh well josh um I feel like we have a lot of work to do just building up from go back to Africa. Yeah, they really, it's like, you really just, it really feels like you took a checklist of the most hot button topics or phrases you could, phrases you could have said over the past 
de- over the past several decades and then just put dump them in there without any nuance for what to say to it. I, it feels like it feels like somebody's for somebody who's known about racism for about a year about a year decided to make a movie telling everybody about it. It, it feels like an eighth grader who learned who learned about racism and realized, man, guys, racism sucks. Let me make a movie talking about it. And this is what they put out. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, no disrespect to Coke Daniels. But a lot of this film is straight up heavy-handed, and if you think that we were done with being heavy-handed at the fucking house scene, oh nah, you see, after this, Karen is asked by Imani, more so than Malik, but definitely the both of them, you know, as a team, hey, could you get the fuck out of my house? And... <laughs> We then proceed to, uh, now remember when we said that Karen was a horror movie? We are now segueing mm-hmm. into the thriller portion of this film, in which we will get a lot of backstory that truly does not matter. Uh, we will go headlong into the police brutality, yep. and we will see a two-dimensional antagonist somehow unravel its... It would be technically impressive if it wasn't just so visually concerning. Not disturbing. Concerning. Concerning. I'm looking at the cameraman like, hey, so are you doing okay? So, let's talk about the scene in earnest. So, after Karen, of course, is kicked kicked out of the house, we fast forward a bit. Forward a bit. The black family knows Karen's a racist. The, um, the, um, antifreeze, not antifreeze, the, um, is it, is it antifreeze? Sorry, the car scene. Whatever, yeah, the car scene in the Confederate flag. The car scene in the antifreeze and the Confederate flag, the flag scene, that happens. And Karen, and if you, and was this before or after she got kicked out of the HOA? No, this is before she gets kicked out of the this HOA. Before because she gets, gets kicked her. out because the rejection on the part by Malik spurs her to go to the HOA to see if she can use institutional power to get rid of these uh, uppity folk who decided to just not live. Like and they say, and they say, Karen, we can't vote, we can't vote them out just because you don't like them. And even her friends are starting to, even her friends in the HOA are starting to be like, I don't, I don't, I don't. You want some? You want like, I, yeah, let's not invite them over. Let's not invite them over. Let's keep them at the HOA. But you want some weird stuff? So Karen is fine. I draw yeah. the line of actively doing something. It's which, it's almost a clever, which is almost a clever. Um, it's almost clever storytelling about the different flavors of racism, but it's so by the book and what you'd expect and what you'd expect that it falls in on itself. So Karen, furious, furious and upset, wanders upon a gr- group of teenagers on the street, all black, all different shades of black, black who are just you know existing, having fun, and she doesn't think they belong here because you know their skin's too dark, dark and their hoodies too large. And how dare they enter a private space like a, what? What do you mean this is a public pr- playground? We all paid for it. What's that? Right? What do you mean? What are you talking about taxes? This is a private neighbor. No, no, this is a private neighborhood. What do you mean your father lives here? And uh, the conversation <laughs> might as well have gone exactly the way Josh and I just joked about. But then it happens. The, she calls the, the cops. Their on... emotion happens where they pull out their phones and start recording her, and she starts crying, and the police are called. 
no, yes, it's it's amazing. She calls the cops on them because she thinks they're she's they're trespassing. Why does she think they're trespassing? Because darn it, folks, if you have to ask that question, then I'm then I'm worried for you. I mean, if, the, if you have to ask us that question, you either just tuned in after a good. 30-minute bout of highway hypnosis. Welcome back. We missed you. <laughs> or you, you just didn't watch the movie, which I guess good on you, but you also weren't listening to us talk about the movie, so it's like, what are you doing? Like, it's It's been a whole 40 minutes. Are you are you okay? Like, Where you been? Please get that work looked at. You're worrying us here in the Barrelverse. Yeah, come on. Hop, hop on. It's easy to get lost. In, it's easy to get lost in here. But she calls the cop. She calls the cops. They record her calling the cops. She does a thing where she pretends to get frazzled. Fake, cri- fake cries say they're in- say they're intimidating her, and the kids are violently arrested. Violently arrested for nothing. Nothing. I, I really hey, don't. The technical term for that is menacing, along with other made-up crimes like loitering. Mm-hmm. And cases, disturb. Don't forget disturbing the people. Don't no, forget disturbing the peace. Well, you know, when someone starts screaming, you could argue that, but it's very much a who gets to have and determine peace in that situation. If notice, it's never the person that gets called off. Yep, and that's why I called it made up crime. Made up crime. Anyway, lucky for the kid, lucky for the kids, their father was an actual civil rights defense attorney who did live in the neighborhood, and the story makes the new story makes the news. This. This is what gets Karen kicked out of the HOA. They just can't have somebody that made made blatantly false accusations and got caught. The problem was she got caught. Isn't that always the problem, though? Yeah. We're fine with but racism, it, but how dare you be sloppy? <laughs> how dare you bring our name into it? That's the issue. That's the issue. You're involved with, the, involved with us, and this don't look good for us. We're losing market value by the day, and honestly... Honestly, having the black people in the neighborhood is worth more than having you on the HOA. So, uh, gotta let you go. And if and you've then, never seen a supervillain have a breakdown, I don't know how to tell you that Karen is having one. Like it's, it's weird. The movie went. The movie kind of goes from her just being an annoying, an annoying racist like you've seen anywhere, anywhere, to her actually going through a descent into madness. She has a heart to heart with her cop brother. By the way, she has a cop. Bro- she has a cop brother who, who is. Imagine an evil. Imagine whatever version of evil cop that you can. Yes, it's that guy. Except for one thing, he doesn't have a mustache. Yeah, just take the mustache off of it, off of him, and he's every ver- and he's every stereotype like a stereotype like he hates black people just as much as she does. They grew up in a neighborhood that was perfectly. It was perfectly milky white, and then black people came in, and it was the amen, and then came the crime and the drugs. Don't matter that don't matter that she and her brother would have grown up in the eighties when the crack ep- epidemic was assaulting black communities for other reasons that we don't have time to get into on this podcast. Podcast, but that completely flies over her head, her head, and she and her bro- she and her brother for that reason do not trust the black the black people. He is protected by a as we quote it, brotherhood of cops that works to make sure that any and all infractions, of which he has had many, completely roll off of him. Violent, violent complaints against him for violence or excessive use of for, force never stick. Complaints that he has before planted evidence 
completely end up as circumstantial. He brags about this. He brags about it to his rookie, which is an interesting way to bring up the blue wall of silence. Which, like, look that up. It's very much just what's being explained in this film. So, like, if you're not familiar with that concept, then this is one thing Karen might teach you. Because, you know, not everyone knows about that. Where a lot of the other stuff, a lot of people definitely do. And the rookie's like, I'm going to have you written up for this. He's like, uh, try He's like, try it. Yeah, we're, we're now interrupting this movie to bring you an entirely separate movie about a, poli- a procedural cop drama in which you have to work on either side of the law to get true justice. But you're just racist. <laughs> also, I think the lawyer dad was played by Ben Crump, an actual lawyer. Let me look that. Let me look that up. You keep going. Keep going because I think because after she has the heart to heart with her brother, I think this is where she snaps and her and her brother hatch a plot to take care of the problem. This is when Malik gets pulled over. Yeah, uh, no, this, I think that was very much like the same scene. So Malik and Amani are fighting about finances again. You know the conversation that should have been had. You know even before they were married, or definitely before yep. a lot of life choice like moving away from an established community. Yeah, and so Malik decides to uh, just clear his head, smoke up a little bit. Once again, things that are legal in in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And that is when <laughs> uh, he makes the mistake of driving. Just don't drive under the influence of most things. This, of course, includes uh, alcohol, marijuana, the more soulful albums by Phil Collins. Just, you know, space it out a bit. Take some time. If anything, down, al- if anything alters your state of mind, I'm just saying, if it alters your state of mind, then don't get behind the wheel of two tons of metal. I cannot operate heavy machinery under the influence of Luther Vandross. I did not ask to live this way. It is simply who I am. <laughs> and yes, by the way, Ben Crump is Ben Crump plays plays in the movie as Benjamin Crump. He plays as himself. I mean, at least no one can tell you you're screwing up the role. So mm-hmm. Malik gets arrested, and he is he's following uh, the basic rules of being stopped by a cop while black. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Hands where they can see them move very slowly, but not so slow that they think they're going to make like a quick sudden move. Uh, and tell, don't look him in the be... eyes, but look him close. Like, stare him in the cheekbones. Yeah, go for the cheekbones, maybe look at the shoulder, things like that. Also, t- he also t- explains exactly what he's doing as he's doing doing it, hands it up. And, of course, the co- cop pulls him out of the car for, re- again, reasons. No, I, I'm not going to say reasons. Pulls uh, him out of, I'm just going to say pulls him out of the car. I mean, no, it, it was a trap. It was a setup. And, like, the rookie's watching it. And no, that's just, when the cop yeah. brings out the canine unit to search the car to find drugs that, of course, the cop, like, planted. But he didn't even do a good job of planting because Malik was like, wait a minute, you planted that shit. Dang. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course he did, and the rookie knows it too. Because it's a cartoonishly large bag of weed. Like this is a like this is a this is the kind of weed that you expect your weed man to have kind of bag of weed. <laughs> it's a it's, first off, it's just why would that be one, Just if in- he was going to take those drugs. And two, if he was going to then lie and hide them from you, why would he just leave it out there in the back seat like that? It, it was re- it it was just a really simple thing. Like, 
Okay. This this does not stand up to the slight rigor that is mild critical thought. And Malik, <sighs> mildly critically thinking, actually gets roughed up for being like, wait, did you plant that? Because that's not my... Yep, yeah, yeah he does get... Him in co- yep. They can't make anything stick on... They can't make anything stick on it on him, so he comes home, but then the is immediately arrested again when they co- when they co- when cops are called to his house for reasons again, and they find a and they find a gun that he keeps in his house, which we, I guess, are su- supposed to assume is unregistered. Anyway, just it, Karen's I, making their life. Either good. way, like this violates the Fourth Amendment, like unlawful search and seizure, just a sudden break into your house. I'm not sure if it's just a Fourth Amendment that was pretty much made for wars. But you do have an implied right to privacy, and that was completely violated. They didn't have a warrant for shit at all. Oh, oh man! I just realized I'm I'm looking at the discography for what else these characters have been in. Karen was Karen was the girlfriend in Eight Mile. Uh, really? Yeah, really. She's the girl. She's Janine from Eight Mile. That is, well, you know. You never know how long people have been in the game, I guess. I just, I did not put that together. Yeah. She's also Nola from Hustle and Flow, and she's been in, and she's acted in America in Orange is the New Black for six seasons. Well, I, I knew about that one. She played the uh, racist caricature character, Pensatucky, which I imagine was part of what inspired this role, and like that weird but, part uh, of the movie where Karen is, by the way, we're about to get this, so Karen has a gun. She, she, for some reason, just, like, whips out a revolver. And after a movie montage and, you know, some light strings to let, her, to let the audience know she's lost her mind, like that was ever in doubt, she decides to just, once the cops are there, roll up to Imani and Malik's house. And since Malik has been arrested and locked away, time to do some dirt on Imani. Just, like, cap her yeah. in there and get going. Just murder her in her own house. I mean, if you're going to and- do it anywhere, it's like... And just, you know, have your cop brother covered up. I guess that's what we're doing here. And Maybe say the... Huh? It almost implies like they've done this before. But it's very clear that Karen... That they haven't, because Karen's not good at this. This is very much an ad hoc job. Uh, and there are, like, some small callbacks here. Like, oh yeah, this is African weaponry. And Amani like, will use that weaponry to stab Karen in the worst game of tag, laser, or otherwise, I think I have ever seen in my life. But, yeah, also, Monty suffers from that problem of, let me tag the bad guy, they fall to the ground, but I'm not going to take their weapon away from them. Or, like, like she she knocks Karen down, what, two, three times, and each time she forgets to get the gun. Like, she, like, Monty has a sword because they collect African weaponry, and she'll stab Karen in the leg. Karen will scream, fall down, and Monty will run upstairs not towards an exit, Karen will drop her gun, and Imani will just leave it there. Ima- Karen will be stalking Imani through the halls. Karen- Imani will get the drop on Karen, tackle her, beat her to the ground, punch her bloody, the gun will roll away, and Imani will just walk away and let Karen pick the gun back up again. It's, it's a mess, and uh, there is a brief moment somewhat before this where Karen tries to explain to Imani, it's like, okay, I don't like you people because my dad was a cop during the crack epidemic and then didn't inspect any of that. Like, <laughs> like she didn't inspect any of, like, how the crack epidemic actually went. The police's role in the crack epidemic. All she... 
All she ever, the furthest we ever get to some kind of reconciliation is Karen. Oh, sorry, we're hopping back in time here, but this, but we, but this feels like a good time to mention this. Karen and Imani do briefly talk about why Karen doesn't like black people because she just does up and say she doesn't like black people too, Imani. But the thing is, it's in the weirdest directed way ever. Karen is perched on Imani's car like a bird, bird, and just saying, "It's not that I don't like you. It's just that this black family moved into my." Moved into my neighborhood when I was a when I was a girl during the eighties, and then drugs, and I just don't feel comfortable around them anymore. And Amani says the most appropriate line in the movie to hear, to hear from hearing that. And what does that have to do with me? Any of it? Strip. Uh, it's it was the one time that I was like, all right, baby. I'll give you that. Unfortunately, it was also the last fucking time. So, we're back at the fast forward. Malik's in jail. The rookie was told to stay in the car while the corrupt cop brother goes in to, like, let's be real here, help clean up that whole murder thing. Yep. But, uh, the rookie follows anyway, like, nah, this isn't right, and I'm not gonna let you do this. Because, you know, in these movies, you gotta have one... The rookie with the heart of gold. Like, you, you gotta have you gotta have one person that's like completely good and ahead of their time to like show there's hope, or that perhaps if the audience treats them as a surrogate, that they're not so bad. Don't, uh, you know, I was gonna say don't think too hard about it, but no, you should think hard about that. Yeah, no, uh, if you need a white savior in your films, whether you are white or otherwise, like if you need a savior character for a member of another community in your film, and that character happens to be a part of the majority community wherever you live. Please inspect why you feel that's necessary. Hey, stop it! Because you're describing Coach Carter, and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna accept that. Stop it! Stop it right now. I'm just saying, consider it. I'm not saying you have to draw any conclusions. I'm just asking you feel it out for about twenty minutes. Okay. But anyway. Anyway. So the rookie anyway. and the corrupt cop brother. Uh, Almost come to blows, and then they both realize there's. Oh, uh, Karen also shoots Imani, but like she wings her, and Imani plays dead. Yep. Because you know, God forbid we learn how to double tap in this house. But uh, the rookie and the corrupt cop are now in a standoff with each other. They both pull the trigger. The corrupt cop brother gets shot in the head, and the rookie was wearing his vest at the time and was taller than the corrupt cop brother. So sure. And, and then goes over and is like, no, you shot my brother, how could you? And Imani gets up and just shoots Karen in the face. That's all the action you're getting out of this movie. So to wind down I think, drama. <laughs> I think Imani gets like one last what one liner in, like something like I said we're not going anywhere. It, it's not a it's not a great one liner, but she gets it in. So I, yeah. I'll at least address that. Yeah, that I do believe she said that. And uh Big ups to the actress playing Amani in this. I feel like she really brought a lot to a movie that did not have a lot there. Like, she carried this movie even more than the actor playing Malik. And I will say that the actress playing Karen uh, did a very good job of playing a racist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just that's just factual. You really made me believe you hated black people. To the degree that I'm suspicious of you now in your waking life. Well done. I feel like the issue with the issue with this movie is not the fault of the actors and actresses. I'm looking through the discographies. They're all 
they all have been doing good stuff. Like Taryn Manning plays Karen, and she, we already said she's been in Hustlin' Flow. Hustlin' Flow. She was in Eight Eight Mile. She's been in a couple other things. Corey Head Herdrick, the guy, or Hardrick, the guy who plays Malik. He was in, believe it or not, he was in American. He was in American Sniper, Warm Bodies, Battlefield Los Angeles, and he's just not that into you. Also, oh. several episodes of the show. Several episodes of the Shy. He plays Dante in the Shy. Well, you know, yeah. he's getting good work done. Can't be mad at that. Yeah. And Jasmine Burke, um, as Imani, she had roles in The Secret Life of Bees, Saints and Sinners, and um, Angrily Ever After. She's in a couple things. Good for them. Now yep. to finally I... wind down this movie and find a way to abate my anger. Uh, so Malik is released from jail because it... what you... what would you guess? I couldn't pin anything on him. So Ben Crump, Amani, Malik, and Ben Crump's nephews in the film are there while he gives a speech about how like changes are necessary to undo racism and racist histories. And you will hear almost none of this because there's just one guy in the corner <laughs> playing it's his so... fucking soul out on trumpet. <laughs> it just completely drowns out what Ever this man was saying, and it's hilarious. Like you can't take it seriously because it is actually the funniest part of this movie. It is the and, most entertaining part of this movie. And we're panning to like salons and barber shops, you know, places where the culture would thrive. And despite all of that, and it trying to be impactful, there's just some dude on the drop. <laughs> said no, no, this is about to be my moment of the movie, and I'm not letting any of y'all have it. Fucking made that moment too. Like we're seeing a bunch of stuff that to me was a little hokey and cheesy, but might be inspiring to others. Like they renamed the neighborhood after John Lewis. They, which, uh, no, but okay. They like they wrote Black Lives Matter on things. You got a lot of people like changing the way that they view things. Imani joined the homeowners association, so I'm guessing we're gonna have a sequel. Like that, that wasn't Imani. I should mention that wasn't Imani. It was. That was just. No, that was just another black person. Oh, more damn. people moved in. Well, I mean, I guess I got more black people in the movie. That's good. And, like, you sure that wasn't money on the Homeowners Association? I'm pretty sure. I- I'm willing to be proven wrong. Uh, like, I'm not going to go back and look. <laughs> that would involve paying $4 and watching Karen again. Be wrong. I will let the question live on. I'm not going back there. Oh, and I can't do it again. And Imani are together. Uh, Imani is pregnant, and they both walk into their house. Uh, right, because winning the lawsuit against the neighborhood would definitely have enough money for a kid in it. I, I don't. What? Where is y'all's money coming from? Like, no shade to what you do, but it just doesn't sound like. Oh no, sound uh, like Ben Crump took Malik's case pro bono. Oh, okay. No, I'm and just like I in general. They won. In general, your in general, y'all. It just like no shade to you all, but like, I, I'm sorry. Um, your late mid to late twenty twenties. Um, blogger, blogger, and or, blogger and um inner city after school program coordinator doesn't equate to two to three story. Huh? Three-story house with multiple bedrooms and bathroom, 
bathrooms. By the way, why did you all get a two-story house with multiple bed, multiple bedrooms and bathrooms as a, uh, when you don't need that? A guest room, and they want kids, man. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. I mean, in esta economía, you would not see me doing the same thing. But, mm. but you know, we, we have to we have to set up the fiction. And then, you know, we have to move with it. Like, you have to suspend that disbelief just so the other parts of the story work. And I'm willing to believe that they were truly the couple from House Hunters that had the money for that house, but then afterwards was, like, really struggling. Wait, does does Karen become a lot better if you just imagine there's an episode of House Hunters that just keeps going? Like, it's an episode of what happens after you shut the cameras off? I mean, somewhat, it would be like a horror documentary. And uh, I, I'm going to stop talking because that's the best segue we can get. But first, final mm-hmm. thoughts on Karen, Josh. I think we've made it clear. Karen, is, I don't understand who Karen is for. It's for all the hype that we just put onto it. Karen, Karen committed the scene of, Karen committed the sin of, it's both worse than what I thought it was, and exactly what I thought it was. If you imagine a movie with the name Karen, and think of exactly what you would put into that movie, Karen will give you that. Nothing more and nothing nothing more and nothing less. It is cartoon. I only say it's worse because it is just shocking in, ha- shocking in how little they put forward with it. I don't, it's not for black people because any self-aware black person in the year 2021 2021 that wants to watch this movie already understands all the intricacies of racism that this movie would have to tell them. I can't imagine it being for white people, white people because it because it gives such a surface level explanation of these experiences experiences that any per- white person that wants to be educated would probably have already educated themselves in this. And I can't imagine it's for Karen Karens because there's no way a Karen is self aware enough to watch this movie. Fair. Oh, I just I realized I didn't rate rate it. It's just infuriatingly unaware. I'll give it like that. It tries so hard to have to validate its exist existence, but at the same time doesn't. But at the same time, try doesn't try enough to actually put in the effort for what that would take. I uh, I can see that. I'd give this movie like a a mildly irritating. I would even go to slightly aggravating because, like, I, it wasn't just, like, the wave of actual real-life Karens that inspired this movie. It was also trying to catch in on the surprising lasting horror impact of Jordan Peele's Get Out and how that actually handled, like, intercultural dynamics from high places of power while also providing a solid horror feel to it. And a lot of Karen does try to borrow from that and do its own thing. And I can respect that in theory, but... Well, we saw the product. And in that respect, like, I can see that there are sparks of brilliance in Karen. I will give it that. It is trying to capture the spirit of the time. I will give it that. But all the flint and tinder in that office couldn't make those sparks ignite. You're real proud of yourself for that one, aren't you? A little bit. I mean, with all yes. the, with the different characters that we encountered, uh, we had characters that should have been smarter than they were. 
we should have had villains that were more nuanced than they were. Saying that, and I'm sorry, movie, but just informing at like the back third of the movie that like your villain's motivation is like their father was killed in the crack epidemic. You, you need to understand that certain people are going to hear crack epidemic first and know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, and like I don't think the mo- I don't think the movie ever explicitly states that it was in the crack epidemic, but everything Karen descri- describes and with how old they are, old they are, it's very obvious what actually happened to anybody that's aw- that's socially aware enough to understand what's going on. And with that, there is a scene in the movie, and Josh Lady touched on it earlier, in which we do meet Karen's daughter, whose best friend slash boyfriend is a black kid and knows that he can't bring the kid around her mother. And from a narrative perspective, I would say, oh, that's good. I guess the kid's doing all right. But from like a media perspective and from a perspective of critiquing, which I am now honing through my time in the Barrelverse, I have to say, oh, God, not this shit again. Because the trope mm-hmm. of the kids being all right really only serves to prolong the power dynamics in play, hoping that the children in the future will fix it, but without concerning yourself with who is actively raising these kids. And so, even if Karen's daughter would have grown up to be better than Karen, without Karen dying, she still would have been partially raised by Karen, and that would have just been unpacking upon unpacking upon unpacking. And not only does the movie not have the time to do it, with everything else it's trying to do, it doesn't even have the breadth to do it. There are various ways that you could... But if we were to dissect Karen and make, say, one or two good movies out of it, we'd have to remove so many parts and isolate so many incidences that they'd be indistinguishable from the whole that we received. And you know how I know this for sure, Josh? Why? Because of an idea you had immediately afterwards called Hotep. Oh, okay. Excuse me, y'all. Y'all, this is this is just gonna be a little thing, a little thing, just a little pitch for you all. And I really, and also, please, nobody, nobody steal this. But if you do want to show, but if you do decide to make this trailer and send it to Barrelverse, call me up on this. Could it easily have a sequel called Hotep. And if you don't know what a hotep is, boy, am I going to let you know. So follow me here. Follow me here. Imagine just how Karen was shot. And we come to a scene of a black, black woman in the classic powerful woman stereotype. I'm sorry, you all, but if this movie's were going to refuse to try, going to refuse to try to get, break stereotypes, and so am I. She is in a, pa- she's in a pantsuit and leaving, and leaving out of Business Incorporated, where she is a, where she is a high-ranking executive executive in Business Incorporated. She stops to get gas, but of course, and of course she's able to pump her own gas, but out of nowhere, this man, this man appears. This snap, crackle, and pop, six foot two, dark skinned man appears and says, excuse me, my queen, but allow me to do that for you. And he's charming, and he's charming at first. He's, he's very well spoken. He's very well spoken. The scene fades to black, and it appears her having a date with this man as well, date with this man as well. He t- he speaks on the importance of African culture, of us getting back to our back to our roots, and how our our beautiful black women should be respected as the queens that they deserve to be. Deserve to be. It's nice. They come back to his place. His place. The lights fade open, and she looks around his bedroom. Everything is kente cloth. 
the lamps, kente cloth, the bed sheets, kente cloth, the dog wearing a kent, wearing the hat, everything. And then she's, and then she asks, so what? So what do you do as a ho- hobby? Oh, I'm what you might we call call a, a hotep. And then this, and then a title card in the same vein as the Karen letters that just says hotep. So, and she will ask the question, so like, what is it? What inspired the youth to rise beyond the institutional misleadings that the schools have given them? And then she begins looking around the room. She sees the pamphlets. They're labeled actual fact. She picks one up and she heard one of her friends talk about this. And we get a flashback to that. And she's like, and you hear like, you don't want to trust anyone who will immediately tell you about things about plants or about numerology. Oh yeah, that's one of those divine symbols. The number mm-hmm. seven. And just she begins, her face begins to blanch. She begins to sweat <laughs> a little bit. It's like, are you all right? You know, I told y'all about eating mm-hmm. corn now. It messes mm-hmm. up your corn. body. It's not meant for bodies like us. And you, about, oh, the music it. begins. And he's just, and they're just, he's got books everywhere that are just fakes that are on Scientology and fake biology on how how the structure of black skin is made to hold in actual sunlight. Not absorb heat, not absorb heat, but actually magically hold in sunlight Sunlight that we use because our black bodies are better absorbing it. It's insane the kind of stuff they'll have in this room. And it'll, it'll all seem really neat at first, but then, like, he will keep talking. And it will slowly devolve into sexist, racist madness. This is how we develop the Karen verse, Will. We don't just strike at Karens. We strike at every horrific stereotype of every race. It's going to be awful, but this is the universe that we make. This is one of the dark... I I feel like if we do this, we can only throw intra-communal shots. Like, if only we can make Hotep, we can't make Redneck. (laughs) We can't do that. That's not on us. I, you know what? As much as I want to do, as much as I want to do it, I just I can't. I don't know if I feel safe doing that one. That one feels da- that one feels dangerous. Exactly. Hotep, the verse has to take all kinds. But look, there are certain barrels. There are dark barrels. And this would be, this would be bottomless. This would be one of the um, how do we call it? The dark barrel verse. The um, the cursed, uh, the rotten barrels. The cursed the rotten barrels. barrels. There you go. Uh, speaking of shit uh, that is rotten and cursed, let's talk about that's the a good... other movie. All right, yeah, I'm sorry. We did watch another movie for Horror Month. Sandwiched between Fear.com and Karen, we decided, we in the Barrelverse decided to take a little, take a little uh, trip to the Possession possession movies to see what they have at the bottom of their barrels. And what we found was a found footage film known as The Devil Inside. And I hate to break it to you, but most found footage uh, horror movies aren't good due to the mechanics of the film literally giving away most of the ending. It's never I've never seen a found footage film where the camera fell and broke and then like you zoom out to a screen and all the characters are found like, yeah, that was a really weird trip. I wonder what all that was. (laughs) It's that like, never happens. The people usually just die. Like found footage, it can be it can be an amazing amazing way to save costs on a movie movie while at the same time doing very creative with your shots. 
it never feels like that's actually what they do. It always feels like it's a way to cheat somebody out of an excellent climax for a movie. You have your you have your staples of the format that have gone above and beyond, like uh, your Paranormal Activity one, Paranormal Activity one, the first time you did it, Chronicle. I loved Chronicle, and um, the Blair Witch Project. Those are examples. Yeah, those are examples of other movies that may be okay. I'm still on the fence about Blair Witch, like to capture the zeitgeist for a time for its time. Or was it really that good? But for the other ones, you I honestly think it was. Movies, I. I honestly think it was for this. It was for its time. By the way, Chronicle, that was how I got introduced to Michael B. Jordan. It was Chronicle. That's fair. I mean, there are mm-hmm. worse ways to be introduced to Michael B. Jordan. Yep. Any Tom Clancy flick. I will not argue oh. with this. Uh, but I can't even say that The Devil Inside was a failure, y'all, because before we hop into it, I want you to be aware of the fact that this 83-minute long movie on a budget of $1 million made a box office of $101.8 million. Really, it made that much money? Yes. Yes, it did. So, fun fact, everyone. The ending of this movie is so bad, it drew actual booze in the theater, and people recorded them and uploaded them to YouTube. Have fun with that after this. (laughs) And when we explain to you how this movie ends, you'll understand, because it drew the most natural booze from my spirit, too. I was so furious, and Will can attest to that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Josh, if you've ever, have you ever seen like that meme, that image of like that one guy, I think he was like an Italian soccer character, no, a commentator just tearing off his headphones? Yes, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, God, damn, you know, shut this bullshit up. Like, it was very much. I was I so, <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's get into the synopsis for The Devil Inside. But because, because y'all, there's a lot to talk about here. The Devil Inside came out in, 20, in 2012. It's a, it's a found footage horror, mo- horror movie directed by one William, as the brainchild of one William Brent Bell. And exists as one, and exists in the barrel that me and Will like to cause, call the, are y'all sure this wasn't meant to launder money barrel? Because it's a Catholic, it's a Catholic um, possession movie that... It pulls the, this movie was inspired by true events. Uh, I, I don't know what to call it, schlock, or what to call it, a trope. But anyway, a sprinkle of truth truth in an otherwise horrifically lie, and a sandwich full of lies. It starts off with the film credit of their, the, Catholic, the Catholic Church does not endorse, does not endorse this movie as a, as a method of found footage film, as a method of exorcisms. And after watching this movie, we understand why. So, the movie opens with a actually fairly effective scene. Effective scene. Cops are investigating a the horrific murder of three, murder of three um, priests or at least priest-like figures, as they were attempting to exercise exercise one Maria Rossi. Maria Rossi. It's a slow and uncomfortable pan of the aftermath of the murder. The the priest and the family member, members of Maria Rossi were brutally, mur- were brutally murdered, and we just go through a shot-by-shot examination of the house. It's uncomfortable, and dare I say it, it's pretty effective. effective. It's After this, the Catholic... Really, oh, uh, sorry, just... I oh, know, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. Go ahead. It's actually really intriguing, because the person who called the police to have them show up, even bring the media, was Maria herself. Mm-hmm. And this is really good, as Josh said, for setting up the intrigue, because 
it's peculiar. You would think that the person who would do all this would be more set on running for their lives now, as opposed to trying to get aid for people that, once you see the bodies, yeah, they're definitely dead. They're not coming back from this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what sort of gives credence to them. Maybe it was possession. Anyway, Maria, Maria Rossi, she has a daughter. Her daughter's name was Isabel, Isabel, who learned about the murder, who learned about the murders from her father, who mysteriously dies three years after three years, I mean, three days after telling Maria about the murder, about the murders. 20, we fast forward 20 years from the night that that happens. And Maria has been institutionalized by the Catholic Church, by the Catholic Church. Isabella, her daughter, is working through a documentary to explain documentary to explain about exorcisms. She's a um, a director is making a film about exorcisms, and her mother's story her mother's story draws him in. So she visits the school. So she visits the school in Rome, and this is actually interesting because at the school in Rome, Maria is, sits in on a class on exorcisms, and they actually break down da- break down the process behind how exorcism works exorcisms work there's a skeptic in the church who sits in on the class sits in on the class and he questions how this all works like what's the difference between somebody who's exercise who's under the effects of demonic possession versus somebody that's just like a dangerous schizophrenic dangerous schizophrenic and they talk about cases in which cases in which people under the effects of exorcism have broke have broken their femurs and their ways of twisting their body in unnatural angles angles and just pushing the lines of what a schizophrenic would be able to do. It's, again, an interesting scene. The Devil Inside does have interesting moments. I will not say it doesn't. I just wish they strung together better. I actually do think we should have stayed into the stayed in the course a bit longer where they talked about, like, oh yeah, here's how you tell the difference between someone who's just suffering from a virulent mental illness and someone who was actually possessed by demons. But this is, but next falls the point where the movie uh, starts to drag. Starts to drag for me. Well, actually, I take it back because I I forgot. After the uh, scene at the school, she does visit her mother, and her mother. Uh, I darn it, the actress does a good job, but they go for the, of course, they go for again. Like she, she's what you expect from somebody that's possessed. That's possessed. Like she, like she, she speaks quietly. Speaks quietly and uncomfortably. She's cut herself in the shape of crosses. Crosses. She does uncomfortable artwork. Artwork and has a and has the cross has a cross hatched, in, an upside down cross hatched into her lower lip. Lower lip. It's just it, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you would think that, uh, and the actress is actually doing a great job of being subdued while also trying to show off a very like off kilter. Uh, lip tat, which is that upside down cross, which is not a symbol of blasphemy against God. It's the, it's the symbol of Saint Peter. Yeah, but that doesn't beat the clear symbolic math that is right side up good, upside down must be bad. Mm, but I've mom, uh, n- 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 all right. Upside down must be bad, Josh. But no, but not. <laughs> Stop thinking. Uh, Enjoy the film. I don't wanna. That's fair. I, I know that we could stop. So anyway, we get the feeling that something is definitely up with Maria, but we can't. Especially figure out what when it is. Especially when Maria hit 
Maria tells Isabel that I know what you did, and killing a child is against God's will. How could she know? How could she know that Mar- that Isabella at one point did have an abortion? Abortion. It's just the home. Oh, maybe she will. Maybe she is actually possessed by demons. Yeah, and because her mother had no no way of knowing that. And I'm not mad at that logic, but at the same time, because we need to keep that are they or aren't they possession thing up, we have to uh, have Isabel, a person who, oh, and the skeptic, yep. watch an exorcism. And this is a, I'd say that this is probably the, one of the showcase moments of the movie, moments of the movie we do I really don't understand why they brought Isabella to this exorcism, exorcism because, like, uh, for one thing, Isabella's not exactly trained in this kind of thing. She has no need to be here. No need to be here. Be here. She's just kind of here, like, oh, hey, untra- untrained and potential liability to this exorcism. Why don't you come in and see, see how we do things? It seems grossly irresponsible to me. Well... It is, if that helps anything. It is grossly irresponsible. But on top of that, uh, it's also just super dangerous because they're they're trying to exercise... Oh, also, kudos to the actress who's pretending to be possessed because their, mo- their job is contortionist. Spot on. I felt very uncomfortable. Yep, especially especially when they, they, they would go a little too far... A little too far um... I don't know what I'd say for a trigger warning on this one with the whole with the blood scene. What what would, what would you say on this one, Will? A content warning: violence, bloodshed, potential gore. Viewer discretion is advised. Probably something she like that. She starts, yep, yeah, something like that. She starts spurting period blood like really, really heavily, really heavily, and it's not so much that it makes me uncomfortable. It just it feels like this was supposed to make me uncomfortable. Comfortable. I thought, uh, and I more thought, okay, this is uh, this is a direction I've never seen before. Before, yeah, that was a decision somebody made. And I will at least say, I think it's fair to say, questionable choices were made. But of course, she gets loose. She gets loose. She calls Isabella by name, even though she had no way of knowing who Isabella was. Isabella was. She starts climbing the walls. You know, typical possession stuff. Well, you know. Nothing you couldn't see coming. <laughs> and uh, then we, I think we relocate her from a bed to like a hospital. Or is this the same? We do see a different possession, but I, I'm, let me check this. Let me check to see. Medical equipment, eventually they get, they do get her under control. Um, no, they are able to, it seems like the exorcism is, is successful. This was just, we don't see Rosalita again, but it's, we're expected to believe the exorcism is successful. We then move on to Maria herself, because apparently they're going to try and exercise Maria. And uh, stuff goes starts flying off the walls here. And we mean uh, that uh, both literally and figuratively, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news, uh, we know which one it is. The bad news is... Uh, I don't think I've read about... Or learned about or even encountered any mental illness that gives you psychic powers because uh, Maria so, is now force pushing people across the roof it's kind of insane it's kind of insane like I forgot de- I forgot being possessed by demons makes you telekinetic because they because she really just gets gets out and starts tearing into the 
tearing into them. Uh, ben didn't. One of the priests involved, I think his name's Ben. He didn't want to do the possession in the first place because, like, you have to have undeniable proof that a demon is actually living in the body in order for the Catholic Church to authorize the possession. Uh, spoiler alert: When you start force pushing people around, we gotta assume assume something supernatural is happening. But nope. Uh, Maria spreads her demon aids to both Ben and to both. I think his name is David. He's the other um. He's the other priest and Isabella, so now they have demons inside of them too, and they don't even have the decency to have the pro- have the process be successful. No, um, it's not it, the orderlies at the hospital stop them before they get through the whole thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm not entirely sure if that's how the demon got transferred. Though so I gotta tell you, if I am for some reason, perhaps I get real tired of enjoying my life, orchestrating an exorcism. And I am not the exorcist. I don't need to be in that room. I feel like we need to get as many bodies away from this demon as, po- as possible. But instead, yep. they go to a hospital. They go to a hospital and just, like, give this demon all the targets. All of them. Now David's, David's got it. Isabel's got, got it. Forget, COVID tw- forget COVID-19. We got demons on 20. We got demons on 20. Anyway. Anyway. We do all so, that, by the way, uh, a... we as the audience can put this together, but the main characters cannot. So they're just thinking, all right, we need to get to safety. So naturally, they go home. Yeah. Do not or, do this. Well, everybody goes home. With viruses, zombies, or demons. <laughs> but David's got a job to do. His job involves him, like, as, as a priest, involves him going to give baptisms. And unfortunately, he has to baptize a baby. And that's when that demon decides to put, and that's when the leathery claws of Mephistopheles decide they want they want to wrap their hands around David's good good nature, and he attempts to drown the baby, to drown the baby while everybody's watching. He doesn't quite do it. He doesn't do it, but it is an uncomfortable scene. It is, and uh, like kudos to the direction for that. It was really a good time to take it off shaky cam because we're not complaining about that, if only because uh, that comes through a lot. Yeah. Soon, like, and and then again after this scene, demons demons are doing what demons are doing, and for and everything comes to a head when the when the demon that is in David David off camera forces him to do horrible things to himself. Horrible things to himself. Trigger warning again for mentions mentions of self harm and suicide as the demon demon makes David cut his wrist, but not quite bleed out bleed out. David then gets a gu- gets a gun and just goes to town on well he I don't does he have to shoot people? Uh no. He gets he brandishes it and gets a lot of attention from the police as the demon makes him walk up the stairs. By the way, David did try to protect himself by bringing out specific scriptures from his Bible to seal off walls and areas where he believes the demonic influence may be coming from. Unfortunately since the cause it's a little too late. So, in full view of the camera, Isabella, Ben, and everyone else who's still alive, uh, David, uh, of his own, of his own, uh, form, yeah, of his own bodice, but not his own volition, uh, how do I say this politely? Removes himself from the situation. That is the politest way I can say that. Uh, content warning in this case for suicide. There's a lot of content warnings we should make in this movie. Yeah, but we're nearing the 
but we're nearing the end of it, and let's. And I feel like we should explain what happens next. David shoots himself, as Will might have alluded to. David does shoot himself. He he he, he gets he laughs, shoots himself, and and Isabella in response begins to have a seizure. Then we just drop all the bomb, all the bombs, and on the way to the hospital, Isabella goes full D. De- Full demon. We're talking contortionist. The same scar that was on her mother's lip appears on her. It appears on her, hers, and Isabella slashes the slashes nurse's throat. And it's a and lot I, fast. I, it's a lot real fast. And you keep thinking like, oh, we're coming to the climax of this movie. Movie. We're gonna have to fight for Isabella's soul. Maybe give her. Maybe exercise her. She can. She bends herself backwards in a way that should snap her back in half, but doesn't. We're in the car. We're rushing to sa- we're rushing to save her. We're do- we're doing this. We're doing that. We're do- we're try- we're rushing towards the climax. Isabella grabs the wheel, crashes the car, and the movie ends. There is no more, resolution. Go to the Rossifiles That was the last. I will. Film. I will not, and I am insulted that you asked me to. I it, almost this threw is... my microphone. At that moment. I think I might have. I think I might have. And this is why this movie has a five on Rotten Tomatoes and audience scores. This movie this is why this movie received an F on critic reviews. Is because you have all of this build up build up with one of the worst mediums for showing for showing what's happening. And then you don't even have the decency to have any kind of a payoff for it. It feels it is one of the worst cases of why did I sit here? What was all of this for? I saw a bunch of people get possessed. Get possessed. There was no character. There was no character growth. There was no. Fu- they, we had a plot of. We had the stitches, the feelings that a plot was coming together. Coming together. We had character motivations, but why did any of it matter? Why did any of it matter? The possessions aren't resol- resolved. The skeptic now believes the skeptic priest now believes in possessions, but gr- good for him. But nothing that we were compelled to follow actually follows through. It's barely scary. It's it just feels like an hour and a half that was wasted, or that I felt tricked into watching. Tricked into watching that has no payoff for the promises that it makes. We promise that there's this generational curve. There's this generational curse, or that this mother is possessed by proud, powerful spirits that have then latched themselves onto the do- onto the daughter. We don't know a how. We don't know a why. We don't know a why. None of it felt like it mattered. And then when things are starting to come to a head, you just cut before it happens. And that is why audiences booed this movie, rightfully so because all the buildup was pulled out from under our legs, and you and I can almost assuredly blame it on the feelings of found footage and just directorial cowardice. Wow, I wonder if we actually even have any final thoughts with that. Well, you, you seem to have really covered the grounds there, Josh. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I think I might have taken it. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, uh, honestly, <clears throat> I guess what I would say about this movie is that the devil inside, my first thought was that this movie was going to go nowhere. And I would rather that have been true. Because I would it, that the movie nowhere... Had gone nowhere the entire time, because then there'd be nothing to disappoint me. Like, as you were ramping up, I actually did run parts of the movie, and it was like, okay, things are happening now, all right. 
these characters are going through a lot. They're bonding. I'm bonding with them. I'm beginning to understand how they tick. Okay, if we get another 30 minutes out of this, we might actually have a decent movie. And then, as we are not even reaching the end of the rising action, it ends. It's like going on a... If you've ever ridden a roller coaster... Imagine having to ride a mid-roller coaster, not the most exciting one, but you know you're promised that drop at the end, that big drop that makes the whole thing worth, whole thing worth it, that thing that ramps it up into the real action, the real, and you've gone through the book, you've gone through the doldrums. There's been like a twist or a turn there, something to get your heart pounding a little bit, but it hasn't really had much of anything. It's just the baseline you expect for the roller coaster that you hopped onto, and then you see it. There's that drop. It's coming. You feel yourself rising and rising and rising to the hill. And then suddenly you're in the install. You're in the installed roller coaster. You're pulling into the end of it. And there was no drop. There was nothing. You went from rise and then just teleported right to the end of the roller coaster. You feel cheated and lied to. And you lied to. Even when you were heard the roller coaster was going to be trash, you still feel like something was taken from you. That's true, Josh. This isn't what I didn't pay for, and I want my money back. Exactly. So, Will, I'll ask you, where would you rate this movie? Because I've talked a lot, and I want to know where you put it. Oh, God. Uh, you know, this movie would have been only irritating had it stayed where it was. It was that it showed me more of what I would expect out of half-decent movie. Well, like, which, not even like I expected more of it, and maybe it was wrong of me to do so. But to expect more and then be profoundly disappointed, almost to the same amount, to the exact amount about your of your anticipation, words are hard right now. Mm -hmm. That would be where, like, that is where you hit aggravation. And it's not, and I'm not putting, like, the burden of the impossible this film. I've had issues with that in the past, and I'm trying to temper myself past it. The burden of the impossible for a film should exist completely without the without outside the bounds of the entire film end to end. And so, when we get to that back third, that back, like, two-sevenths of the film, where we find that this film not only further beyond, but is a and then goes nowhere, how am I supposed to feel? But well, betrayed. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how you. Pro I don't know how you promised nothing and then betrayed me on that. Easy. They mug you at the end. It. It was very much like the same revelation. And if you ever look at the posters for the Devil Inside, and like I don't want to sign homework for this, but if you do, there are only two posters. One has Maria showing you her bottom lip with the cross on it. And the other is a nun with cataracts. So I was looking expectantly throughout the film for what role this nun would play in the movie. We just walked past her, and she has cataracts. That's that's it. And if, if there's anything I could tell you that would exemplify how this movie is, it is that moment. It is the expectations of the bare minimum. Because let's not lie, that nun with cataracts, it's not amazing. But it's something like, oh, that's something mildly interesting that I would expect in a horror movie. Let's check. I'm excited for that. And it's, a, and it's nothing. That's how this movie is. It is a possession movie that does the, 
that does the bare minimum to count itself as a possession movie, and then right as it goes to the climax of what it means of what you'd expect from a possession movie, it pulls that out from under you. It does. It is a D tier possession movie with a G tier ending, and that's why we. And that's why it gets. So, it's got panned so hard. Like it's. Ooh. Two aggravating films this time around. Yep. Yeah. I I'm gonna. I, yeah, that's gonna be my. That's gonna be my rating. Is mildly betrayed. You promised me nothing and delivered less. That can only happen in the case of robbery. I know I said it before, but like that's the only way you can do it. Like I promise you, nothing will happen. You robbed my entire house. Hey, while I was doing it, absolutely nothing happened. It was very quiet in that house I was looting. And I hope. So you know what, y'all? I hope that we haven't. I hope we haven't robbed your time like this movie robbed robbed ours. From all of us here at the Barrelverse, I hope that you are staying hydrated. That you are staying hydrated. That you watch something suspicious, suspiciously spooky during the spooky see the spookiest time of the year, and are looking forward to enjoying time with loved ones as we move into Thanksgiving and Christmas. Find good movies to watch and watch our podcast to enjoy, to enjoy the, us talk about bad bad ones. Will, do you have any closing thoughts? Um. Oh God, we're gonna have to watch Christmas specials again. <laughs> that was that was really the first one. I'm sorry. <laughs> you first, and that is, the recipe for seduction will always have a special place in my heart. We, you all, ever since we moved to the old, to the new um to, to the new into the Barrelverse tagline, there are old there are we have a considerable backlog of movies that we still need to either discuss or rewatch, and one of them is called a recipe for seduction. I will tell you nothing more, nothing less than it is a. Then it is a 15 minute long romance about fried chicken featuring one one Carlin Carlin San, Harlan Sanders as the titular heartthrob and it is the best thing that we have seen on the Barrelverse barring Black Orpheus true and that was last December was such a weird month for us in terms of movies it was like Black Christmas, the rest of the production, which I looked into it, made by Jordan Belfort, the guy from Wolf of Wall Street. Well, you all, we really need to re-upload some of our older episodes or either re- or re-record them because there is some stuff out there that we need you all to experience with us. Uh, you know what? I'm considering it. Because <laughs> this, uh, guest take this as an announcement. We're considering Patreon, please email us at barrelversepod at gmail.com we'd really, lo- we'd really love to hear your thoughts. I, I'd, be more, I'd be more than willing to discuss it. Yeah. 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 But, all, but for all of us here at the Barrelverse, I'm Joshua Pulliam. I'm William. And we hope you've enjoyed your time tonight. See ya. Take it easy, everybody.